Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. Welcome, wine enthusiasts and job seekers. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine, Work, and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. Today, you'll meet Jody Battles, Managing Partner and Beverage Director for the JK Food Group. You'll learn about her journey from part-time server to overseeing the beverage program at acclaimed Boston-area restaurants Toro, Copa, Little Donkey, Faccia Afaccia, and Bar Polino. No matter where you are in your wine journey, this episode is packed with insights and inspiration to help you jumpstart your wine career with or without experience. I can't wait for you to meet Jody. Let's get started. Hi, Jody. Thanks for joining us on Wine Work and Passion. How are you today? Hi, Karen. I'm great, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm excited for our our episode. So can you tell our audience who you are and what you do in the wine industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So my name is Jody Battles. I am currently the beverage director and a managing partner for JK Food Group, which is a restaurant group out of Boston. Uh, We have four locations, Toro, Copa, Inateca, Little Donkey, and our newest venture, Faccia Faccia and Barpolino. Now, are those two restaurants together, the Faccia? If, if yeah, so it's Faccia oh, Faccia is basically upstairs, and then Bar Polino is our little wine bar downstairs. So oh, we fun. open those together at the same time. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about those in a second, but that just dawned on me. I didn't know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> so uh, the reason, as you know, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is uh, we were connected through uh, Lexi Sparrow and um, so appreciate her reaching out from uh, Mona Creative. and. You know, I like to bring the audience knows. I like to bring people from all walks of life because it really shows that the wine industry is pretty vast. And that's what the show is all about is working with wine, finding a way to make wine a central part of what your career is. And, you know, the restaurant, I come out of the restaurant industry, not to your level or degree, but I, you know, but that's where I found my passion for wine really and used it a lot. And so um, I was really excited to hear the types of things that you do um, with, with your company. And I, you know, I want to showcase that to the audience. You know, the nice thing about getting into wine through restaurants is there's restaurants everywhere, all around the country, all around the world. So wherever you live, if you're listening to this podcast, it's a great way to, you know, get connected with wine through a career. So, um, I think that, I think that's going to be very helpful to everybody. So my favorite question of the day, what was in your glass last time you had a glass of wine? Ah, yes. Um, so my last glass of wine was actually at a staff training at Copa Inoteca. So I had the Ettore Germano Rosana, which is a sparkling uh, Brut Rosé made from Nebbiolo from Piedmont. Ooh, yeah. Nice. And, uh, yeah. It's delicious. Very like champagne style Brut Rosé, but yeah. uh, really fun, different project. You don't always see Nebbiolo done that way. So the no. team at Copa was really excited about it. So it was cool right. to showcase for them. And it was traditional method, I'm assuming? Yes, it was. Yep. 
Yep. People don't realize, you know, there's so much more to Italian sparkling wines than Prosecco and Asti, right? Totally. And there's some beautiful dry wines made in the traditional method. So I had not heard of that one. That's cool. Yeah, they're well, lovely. I'm embarrassed to tell you what I was drinking. So I'll just tell you, oh, I, before I had my glass of wine, I was drinking a Manhattan. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. Love a good Manhattan. Every now and then, I just got to get away from wine. You know, it happens. Yes, fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's tell the audience a little bit about you. You know, where are you from? Tell us about your your work experience and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so I am born and raised on Cape Cod. Uh, I lived there my whole life. My family, my mom's like 13th generation Cape Codder. So I have a whole big family down there on both sides. Um, I spent some time, I lived in New Hampshire for a little while. I spent a long time in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which is sort of where I cut my teeth on all things wine in a whole different side of things uh, in the restaurant industry. Um, and now I've been back up in Boston for almost 10 years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been to Boston. Haven't spent a ton of time there, but you know, it's a, it's such a great place. I, it's just too far. It's the other side of the world for me. So. Literally. <laughs> You're in Napa. So yeah, it's, it's really far, but it's really a beautiful place. So um, tell us a little bit about your wine journey and, and especially your wine journey through your career. Yeah. So I had growing up in the Cape, I worked in restaurants in various capacities when, you know, at, towards the end of high school, summers during college, um, but wasn't really doing a whole lot in wine. It was relatively basic in terms of the wine programs that we had and that we were offering. Um, and when I moved to Charleston, I had gotten a degree in finance um, and I was working for a real estate development company. And I was looking for something else to do sort of on the weekends and because I was quite honestly kind of bored in what I was doing. Uh, and I had a friend from the Cape that actually had his aunt owned a wine bar in Charleston. Uh, it has since closed, but it was called the Levin Center Street Wine and Gourmet. And it was uh, a small like shared plates, tapas menu. Uh, but that, rather than a traditional wine list, they had a retail shop downstairs because yeah. that's basically something you can do in South Carolina, can't do it right. everywhere, but it was restaurant and retail in the same property. So yeah. uh, I was exposed to an unbelievable amount of wine rather than a smaller wine list there. And I had a really amazing general manager who sort of took me under her wing uh, and started letting me steward wines and would, you know, say, take home these three Pinot Noirs that are from all over the world and just try yeah. them. And I found myself gravitating more and more to the wine bar. And the, at the time I was just serving and I moved into some assistant management just on the weekend, helping out with events, things of that nature. But I ended up finding that it was an area that I had so much passion and I was so excited and I couldn't get enough of it. So I ended up leaving my finance job and diving in headfirst to all things wine uh, and restaurant management. So I was there for a little while. Um, and then I worked for another hospitality group in Charleston um, and could just continue to get my sommelier certification through the court. Uh, I got my CSW through the Society of Wine Educators, and I just I continued to kind of couldn't get enough. So um, I was, was on the court. Right? Yeah, it, getting yeah. is addictive. <laughs> totally. Uh, so that was Charleston was really, it's a really cool city when it comes to food and wine and restaurants and all of that. So it was a great, uh, space for me to kind of cut my teeth and start really exploring all things and build my Rolodex in that way. So 
Uh, I was on the board for the Charleston Wine and Food Festival down there a little bit, which was another really exciting thing to be a part of and have that much more exposure in all things wine. Um, So restaurants were always still a huge part, but wine was such a big focus and just an area that was a passion for me that no matter what I was doing in restaurant management, having my hands in the beverage program was pretty much a non-negotiable in terms of what I was doing. Right. So, right. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, your, your story, every story is unique, but it's not really an uncommon one. Um, I, in fact, my story is a little bit similar in that I was an administrative assistant for the, uh, the American Cancer Society <laughs> during the week of Monday through Friday job. And I was bored and I said, you know, I think I want to be a cocktail waitress. I was living in LA at the time. I was 21 years yep. old and barely, and I just wanted something a little more fun and just something to do on the weekends. And ultimately that was the spark that really ultimately led to me working in sales. Eventually I, well, I became, went into restaurant management and then I went into strip distribution sales and then wine education. And here are, you know, 30, I don't want to admit how many 30 years later, <laughs> but you know, it's been a good run. And, and I think, you know, the restaurant industry is such a great entrance into you know, you may not start off with a focus on wine, but if that's your passion, rest, restaurant experience is very, very valuable. I, I, to me, I think so anyway. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was it was really what created a pathway for me to be able to uh, learn that much more about wine and be exposed to it in ways that is just such a cool experience to also watch people then enjoy it. You know, you get to really see right. it from start to finish where it's uh, not always the case depending on other areas in the wine world. So. Right. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you've you've got a lot of certifications under your belt and, you know, wine education is more than just learning about this product. It, it opens the door to, you know, to learning about geography and travel and culture and food and religion and all those things. And I say this quite a bit, you know, on the podcast and with my students you know, it's, it's a big world of wine in wine. And so your passion can go in a lot of different directions. uh, When you, when you get in, you can take it in a lot of, like you said, your, you know, your old boss gave you three bottles of Pinot from around the world. That's a great way to learn about all the regions of the world. Right. And uh, wine is a great, great for exploring. I think that's, I think that's really pretty cool. So I know, uh, you know, in, in learning a little bit more about you leading up to the podcast, Talk about your passion for organic wines, biodynamic, that type of thing, natural wines. Talk about that. Yeah. So when I, this has been a focus for me that's been uh, an area that I've been super passionate about since I really got into wine, because even at 11 Center Street at the wine bar, we focused on small producers uh, that were operating organically, really like, you know, vineyard to bottle to everybody was doing this, everything all together. Um, So I have always looked at it kind of the way that chefs and restaurateurs have looked at things when it comes to sourcing from a farmer's market versus maybe a bigger food distributor. That it's like if you have the opportunity to work with a local fishmonger, uh, you know, anybody that's growing local herbs, mushrooms, Right. You name it, that that's the pig farms, the the, you know, the the farmers that have cattle, that kind of thing. Yeah. Any standpoint. 
Right. Yeah. Yes. So that's sort of that same. It, for me, it was always rather than looking at larger commercial wineries or any kind of product, not that they don't have their own place, but it was just never an area that really I was seeking out. And then I continue to kind of take that that much further as um, in our most recent project, like for Bar Polino, we went fully organic, biodynamic, natural. That's the only thing that is in there on the shelves. Um, our chef Ken Oranger, one of the partners and owners of the group, spent some time over in Paris uh, a few years back and lived there for about eight months and really just had uh, a very exciting amount of exposure to smaller production wines that we couldn't even get here. But we were like, we have to open up a place that's like these calves in Paris, in Boston. Right. Um, so trying to be able to showcase small business, all of those things, it kind of comes together and is that same philosophy when it comes to the wines that we're sourcing. It's about the people. It's about how they're practicing. It's not just about it being delicious juice in the bottle. Right. And if, if you're, if that's your food philosophy, why shouldn't it be your wine philosophy? Why would you, why would you have that philosophy for food and then go out and buy a bunch of wines with mega purple or something? (laughs) Like Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. So that's where, you know, having them be on the same page of the book is kind of our philosophy when it comes to the restaurant. So it's, I'm grateful that the chefs care about it as much as I do. That's very cool. And, you know, while I've got you, and I know we didn't talk about this earlier, but would you mind, since we have your expertise in these topics, can you tell the audience a little bit about the differences between organic, biodynamic, and natural? Because those are a lot of buzzwords going on. The natural one, I think, is the most confusing. Well, at least to me it is. But um, can you talk a little bit about what those things mean, how they're similar, how they're different, um, what to look for? Yeah, of course. Um, So I always kind of break it down in different stages where you have commercial wine and then a step up from that in like a pyramid scheme, for instance, would be organic. So that is going to be restrictive in terms of additives, in terms of the amount of sulfur, um, how practices are happening in the vineyards, whether it's herbicides, pesticides, things of that nature that you can't, it's much less. So one one layer less of everything. Uh, Biodynamics goes even more intensely from that where it's not about just what's happening in your vineyard and with your grapes, but also what's happening in the surrounding vineyards in that area in a whole more sort of like fully ecosystem style. So it comes down to, you know, if you like makes me think of mine Klang is a biodynamic farm that is in Austria that they have, you know, all kinds of cattle, they have different flowers planted. It's all these things that are looking at it as a whole and the grapes being a part of that bigger whole. Uh, and, and also, and is, is no that additives. because is is that because the the flowers and the foliage and the cows and everything feed the soils, or just yeah. generally make for a better in a better eco environment? Yeah, absolutely, big time. And then natural is even that more where it's basically a lot of it comes down to there's a couple different like schools of thought when it's you know the hard and fast rules of natural wine but it's just minimal intervention is what it boils down to that it's you're just growing the grapes and it sounds like it's easier but it's actually so much harder to try to do nothing and still have an amazing product at the end um So some of the, it's, you know, adding no sulfur or very, the parts per million gets absolutely minuscule in the natural element of things. Um, but mm-hmm. all of it being less is more. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, it's, I guess maybe it's not hard to do it, but it's hard to do it and come out with a quality wine. 
that yeah. I think is is the biggest challenge. And you know, right. a lot of people I think of biodynamic. When I first learned about biodynamic, and this was a long time ago, and I did, I, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't a wine educator. I was, I mean, I knew a little bit about wine, but not an, just enough to be dangerous. And it's <laughs> and the person who explained it to me kind of blew it off like some sort of mystical, dumb, you know, hocus pocus, moon and the stars will have to line up. But the more I got into it, and you know, like they always bring up the thing about the cow dung and the horn that gets planted on a Tuesday during a full moon, blah, blah, blah. You know, they exaggerate all of it. And, uh, and then I started learning more about it. And it's like, okay, maybe they do take this horn and they do put cow dung in and they plant it, but that's because there's microorganisms in there that's going to feed right. the soil and in a very <laughs> natural way. And I started learning more about it. I'm like, this is not hocus pocus. It's actually just good, clean farming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The yeah. same way. And again, it's, I always related for people in the same way that it's like, if you know that you're buying organic tomatoes from your neighbors that have this farm that they don't add anything to, or you can go get something that like, it looks absolutely perfect, but right. you don't know what went into it. Like that's right. a, the same thing. Like to your yeah. point, there could be deep purple in something that looks mm-hmm. good, but right. That's exactly. not, that's not a great. <laughs> yeah. and, and then one more question, because natural, like you say, it's a little, it's a little loosey goosey in that there isn't a really s- severe definition of, you know, it's not really, the term's not really regulated that I know of. Um, no. And, so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of potential different, you know, different approaches at play. The other term we hear a lot about, and I think a lot of people sort of lump them together is orange wine. Yeah. So, so what is the difference there? So I think that that's orange wine. I love that orange wine is like having a moment right now. Kind of reminds me of when Rosé finally had a moment of, you know, a while ago too, where it's, you know, just white grapes that are done with skin contact the same way that red grapes are, you know, used to make red wine or Rosé typically. Um, But a lot of people sort of, I think have sometimes jumped on the bandwagon of orange wine being this trendy thing. And while a lot of people that produce naturally do make orange wines or these skin contact wines, uh, not all orange wine will be natural or organic. Other people can make it that way. So that's where I always lean into, you know, the importers that you trust and the suppliers and distributors and people that work with, if, if somebody like Mindclang to go back to that, or whoever may be is a producer that you know operates in a certain way and they're making an orange wine, then you know what you're getting into. But Right. So na- a natural wine could be a white wine with no skin contact, just like a normal white wine without skin contact. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. So orange yep. wine, I mean, sorry, natural wine can be orange, but not always. And orange wine can be natural, but not always. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. I, I like to bring out those kinds of things, especially when I have an expert like yourself on, because, you know, I, I you know, I teach WSET um, and inevitably every class I get the question about the orange wine and the natural wines and what's the difference. And, you know, and then, and then we can throw in the word sustainable in, in there too, that kind of looks at a few more things like carbon footprint and yep. you know, community projects and that kind of thing. You know, that's just a whole nother kettle of fish, but um, you can, you can be sustainable and not organic. You can be organic and not sustainable. So there you go. Right. Another, you know, another sort of parody <laughs> there, but anyway, it's yes, all very many funny. layers always. Right. But, you know, but no matter what any of those terms was, well, I'm not, orange wine is just a style, but uh, natural, 
or organic and biodynamic. You're out, those are low, you know, really, really low intervention, very um, made very purely. And, and that's kind of the point. So that's, that's great. Okay. So tell us, you, you kind of touched on it at the very beginning. Tell us about a little bit more about JK food group, your parent company. Yeah. So JK Food Group is a restaurant group that is chef owners, uh, Ken Oranger and Jamie Bissonette, hence the JK of the group. Um, So we at this time have, they first were working together. They've known each other as chefs for a long time, but within this group, their first restaurant together uh, is Toro, which is our our Barcelona inspired tapas Spanish restaurant, um, which actually just celebrated 17 years this year, which is exciting. Yeah. And this month, actually. Um, They then went on to open up Copa Enoteca, which is our small little Italian Enoteca, kind of like you would find at the end of a dead end road in in Rome. Uh, So wood fire oven, handmade pastas, pizza. Um, my arguably my favorite pizza, unbiasedly so, in all of Boston. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and then we have Little Donkey, which we opened up six years ago, which is sort of more globally inspired, globally inspired small plates. Um, and that's over in Cambridge. And then our most recent venture, which has been a long time in the works, we were really excited about finally coming to fruition this past May, is Faccia Faccia and Bar Polino. So this is our more coastal-focused Italian restaurant, uh, and then Bar Polino is the wine bar that is just downstairs in the same building. Right. Now, you know, you're mentioning these these restaurants. Are they big restaurants or small restaurants? So they kind of, there's a range for sure. Copa is our smallest. Uh, It's 10 tables inside, the same amount of bar seats. Uh, Due to all things pandemic, our patios expanded substantially. So that was an added bonus. Uh, So Copa is sort of like the little engine that could. It just like keeps going, but uh, it can't expand much more. So it's it's a smaller seat. You know, it's about 40 seats inside. Um, Toro is more like 60 seats inside. So it gets a little bit bigger, but still pretty packed. It's very very much so feels like you're in Barcelona where it's like it's communal tables. Everybody's kind of in it to win it together. Uh, little donkey in Faccia Faccia are about the same size. Um, but Faccia Faccia has a much bigger patio. We have like a 40 seat patio on Newbury street in the back Bay area of, uh, Boston. So, and then Bar Polino's just, it's, it's about 30 seats. So it's oh. a much smaller little sibling of the Faccia Faccia product. Yeah. So intimate wine bar kind of atmosphere. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So a little birdie has told me these uh, restaurants that you're involved with are not just the run of the mill restaurants. Uh, They're very prestigious. Can you talk about some of the accolades and awards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Ken and Jamie are both completely amazing chefs uh, in in their own right. Uh, both are James Beard award winners. Um, Toro has won a handful of different things for best tapas with best of Boston. Uh, Copa also has, you know, been in that same school. So lots of things for, um, Boston based awards in general, uh, best burger for little donkey. So there, we've been really fortunate for, uh, lots of, uh, loyal clientele that has been in our corner for a long time. Um, and you know, chef has been, chef Ken has been nominated for outstanding restaurant tour nationwide with James Beard as well. So, uh, they've really been pivotal in terms of kind of creating the landscape that is the Boston, uh, food and restaurant scene over the past 20 plus years. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's very, that's very cool. And so talk about your specific role with uh, what, you know, what you oversee, what your title is, what your role is with JK Food Group. Yeah. So I, when I started with these guys, I actually was living in Charleston and as I said, was from, I'm from the Cape, I kind of kept my finger on the pulse of Boston for a long time. Um, and I loved when I was my time in South Carolina, but I just sort of felt like I wanted to be back in the Northeast. Uh, so I had a mutual chef friend who had actually told me they were hiring at Toro for a GM position. Um, so I started with the group there back in 2013. Uh, I was doing the beverage program just at Toro initially, and then also took over at Copa and then saw the, uh, cultivation of the beverage program from when we opening, when we opened at Little Donkey back in 2016. Uh, at that point I moved into wearing a few less hats and just doing the beverage specifically and stepped away from some of the operational management uh, of the GM role at Toro. So uh, I've been in a beverage director role since then. And then I became a managing partner when we opened up this new property at Faccia Faccia Barpolino, uh, which also I oversee all the beverage there. So um, I oversee pretty much single-handedly with some help here and there, the wine selections and wine programs out of all the restaurants. Uh, and then I also oversee the bar programs, but I have key people in place at each location that are sort of my right hand in all things bar operations and cultivation as well. So, they, so they're the ones that report up directly to you. Yeah. Yep. So there's a bar manager in place at each location that uh, we still operate from a standpoint of it being very collaborative. So, uh, you know, they and that goes for the fellow bartenders, myself included, you know, everybody kind of has a hand in things as much as possible, but they report to me um, and they also assist with I pretty much oversee our entire educational program, but they have a hand in that as well and help with that at each location. Can you talk about your educational program for us? Yeah. So uh, it's on our holiday break right now, which only happens. We do it for a little break in July and a little break in December, but we do basically like a beverage words every other week at each property. Uh, Cause with all four, otherwise it would be a full-time job. Uh, but we do, it started out as wine words and it's basically a 45 minute to uh, hour long sort of deep dive into some topic related to something in beverage. So, uh, you know, whether it's different sparkling wine production, something like orange wines and skin contact and tasting those from all over, it could be uh, food and wine pairings, it could be blind tasting, uh, it could be, you know, tasting mezcals from various different areas. So uh, a winemaker in town, you name it, it kind of the list goes on, but we make a point to have. These are live sessions in person. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I usually teach at least 50% of them, if not a little bit more. And then we bring in other people so that they're not just seeing my face and learning from others, but uh, live sessions that are mandatory for the team that they actually get really excited about too. So uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're specific to each property too. So they change depending, you know, between each of the restaurants. So it's relevant to that actual beverage program. Right. And, you know, and I'm glad we brought this up because, you know, we think about being a beverage director. I know that that's a common term. And a lot of people think, well, that's the person who sort of manages the inventory and maybe writes the wine program, um, working with distributors and, and all that type of thing. But the other that I think really is as important is, it, you know, you can buy all the wine you want, but if your staff doesn't know anything about it, I mean, that's training and education is so hugely important. And, you know, having been in wine sales, selling to restaurants for many, many, many years, 
that was always the first thing they'd cut back on or the last thing they'd make time for. And so as a distributor sales rep, I always felt like, well, this is my foot in the door because I can offer that complimentary for any of the products of mine they carry. And I would even go further. I wouldn't necessarily talk specifically to the other products on their menu, but in broad strokes, I certainly would give general education about Chianti Classico or whatever it was. And I will tell you, for you salespeople out there listening, that is an added value to your accounts, especially the smaller accounts where the owner or the beverage director is wearing every hat, you know, they're washing dishes half the time. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a really good skill to have to be able to educate your team. And it's also, I'm sure, what's led to the success of your restaurants is that you've got a well-educated staff. And that's hard to come by. Let me tell you, even in some of the best restaurants, you ask about wine and they just look at you like, I don't have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's also, you know, if you're, if you're on the server service side of this, whether it's bartender or table server or whatever, you know, nothing will get you, a, a, you know, will get you ahead faster than learning about all the wines. You know, you have to learn about the food. The, the chef will demand and make you learn about the food. <laughs> but in a lot of restaurants, they, they really think about the wine education more as an afterthought. So just take the initiative. And, you know, yeah. and, you know, when thinking about your journey, you showed an interest and it was through that interest and your desire to learn and your ability to learn so from a span of when you started on Cape Cod working part-time, I don't want to, I don't want to put a date on you. I don't want to ask you how old you are, but from the very beginning to- been a minute. Today, I mean, in, in broad terms, about how long did it take you to get where you are? Uh, so I would put it in about, ooh, let's say like 20-ish years. 20-ish, okay. Yes. Well, that's, I'll tell you what, and that sounds maybe to some people might sound like a really long time, but considering you were working part-time off of a full-time job, you know, in high school, it, I think that's, I think that's amazing. That's not a long period of time. I mean, I've been in the industry for, like I said, well over 30 years and I have lived a million lives in this industry. I've, you know, I've, I've done everything. <laughs> That's why I have this podcast because I, <laughs> I haven't done everything, but I've been connected to almost every job in the industry. And and uh, that I, that's the other thing about working with wine. Once you start working with wine, nobody ever leaves. Nobody ever voluntarily gets another job. You might yeah, change companies here and there, right? And yeah. even that, even even companies. Most people I know, especially at the distributor level or restaurant level, they don't bounce around, uh, you know, like some other jobs. I always say supplier, supplier jobs, you have about a seven year shelf life, but other than that, <laughs> I, did that too. I actually lasted in a supplier job 13 years. So oh, I was like a nice. cat. I just kept coming back. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's funny. Um, so with the people that you hire, you know, the bar, the bar staff that you are overseeing, what types of uh, qualities do you look for in a new employee or a per, maybe even an employee to promote from maybe a different position? What kind of qualities are you looking for and what types of things would you look for on a resume from a, a potential new employee? 
Yeah. So I think, I mean, for us, we do JK Proof Group, and I'm a testament to that because my position didn't really exist until I was with the group. We are continuing to grow and always are looking to kind of foster that from within. So getting a foot in the door and then trying to, you know, really figure out what you might be passionate about and then running with that and then continuing to be able to give people new opportunities is something we feel super passionate about. Um, Everybody has to start somewhere. And then, you know, if there's opportunity for growth or we find that there's a need for a new position or something, someone has moved or whatever it may be, we're forever looking at our internal team before we look elsewhere, because that that's the goal at the end of the day is for everybody to grow. Um, So that sort of like self-starter motivation and that desire to learn and, you know, wanting to take that initiative is something that we look for, whether it's internal or not, you know, people that are, are looking to just kind of come in, collect their pay, go home is just not who we are as a group. Uh, You know, everything is a pooled house. So it's also very important that you're in it to win it. And you're there to uh, really have an intentional effort and an excitement to be a part of what it is that we're doing. Um, So people that are there for the right reasons, uh, and show that passion for the industry or elements of it that they are going to be focused on is something that's super important. Um, And for me, it's also people that are excited to believe, take part and really buy into that educational philosophy that it's, you know, that we always like never stop learning is sort of a pillar in what we do as a group. So people that are understanding of the fact that there is always room to learn more and to also build up those around you. Uh, You know, the restaurant industry is competitive by nature, but you have to continue to grow your team and mentor people and having that mentality is really important, especially for me, for people that are in sort of a bar management and leadership role that for them to be growing everybody from the bar backs to maybe the bussers who are helping them with glassware and all of those people are, you're only as you know good as you are as you're with everybody else on your team. So building up others around them and uh, having that sort of mentality is really important. So that initiative and self-starting and mentality, uh, wanting to have that mentorship, a total passion for, you know, the craft and for food and beverage um, are probably the biggest things. And I I loved how you said intentional effort, that they're willing to give intent or that they are are displaying intentional effort. They're not just showing up. They're, they're really intentional. And I think that that is such good advice for any job. I don't care where you're working, you know, you've got to, you've got to invest. That's an investment when you're being intentional. And I think, I think that's super, um, super important. Are there, do you ever hire from outside your restaurant group fresh, you know, somebody coming from another restaurant or somebody maybe you hasn't, doesn't have any experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's where we've brought people on in the team that are, you know, could be, have never had a restaurant job before, have never had a bar job before. Uh, And we're, if people are motivated and excited and driven uh, and want the opportunity and are hungry for it, I would give that opportunity to somebody with that mentality over, you know, some perfect glowing resume all day long, because uh, having that sort of gumption and that effort and the desire is really, you can teach people things if they have that. So we're always trying to give people new opportunities and hire from outside as well. Yeah, I, I can say that, you know, how we say you can teach skills, you can give people knowledge, but you can't teach someone how to have a personality. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. 
even in our interview process, we always have a few people meet everyone too, because it's right. like the energy and that kind of who they are as individuals yeah, is, is really important in that yeah. exact mentality. Yeah. Are there key words that you look for on a brand new resume? Somebody comes, something comes across your desk. Are there key things that you like to see or that catch your attention more than others? Um, I would not necessarily more so. I mean, it's, you know, I, I tend to look for people that have either grown somewhere and have tried to take on more than one opportunity at a location mm-hmm. um, or that have, you know, spent more than a certain amount of time there. You know, you always like try to say cardinal rule, like stay somewhere for a year on a resume. And if not, right. um, have an open conversation about why you didn't. Right. Um, but just sort of showing people that have continued to try to progress is in whatever way that would be on a resume right. is always something that I'm looking for. And is it a plus that they've already been in a role where they're dealing with some kind of customer, whether it's a customer service thing or retail sales or some, you know, maybe if, if not another restaurant, but something where they're connecting with customers? Is that a plus? Yeah, I think that that's a huge plus. And that's especially, you know, getting into the restaurant industry or the wine industry, if you've had other things where you're guest facing or clientele sales facing, whatever it may be, those those human face to face interactions are so key, because that sort of hospitality translates no matter what industry you're in, but be able to, you know, provide that warmth and that kind of service uh, and Mm -hmm. is crucial. Right. No, exactly. So um, as as we're getting you know close to winding down here, um, can you tell our audience, I know there's a lot of people listening thinking, wow, I want to follow in her footsteps, or I want to work for her group, or I want to work for a group like hers, or I want to be, you know, work in the bar, I want to become a wine buyer, all those things that come under your umbrella that you've done. What kind of advice would you give somebody who's just saying, but I don't have the experience, I don't know how to get, I don't know how to get started. You got a couple of words of wisdom or some advice for them that they can do physically, that they can, you know, start to act on? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so some big things for me would be one, and again, this is still something that I believe right now is arm yourself with education. Um, If you have something that you're excited about, you know, pursue those educational opportunities, whether it's certifications, whether it's just having somebody that is also wants to geek out about wine with you at home, whether it's, you know, putting your nose in books that you love to read, whatever it is, but continue to educate yourself and know that there's always room to continue to do that. I'm still learning on a daily basis. The teams are, if you ever think that you've learned it all, you're wrong. So, you know, arming yourself with as much education as possible uh, is huge. And that kind of goes hand in hand with also network, network, network that, you know, as you've said, the, you know, and I, we totally agree. The wine, world is so big and it can go in so many different avenues and the best way to make that feel a little bit smaller and more manageable is to continue to meet people and connect in whatever way is possible and you never know where those are going to take you you know that it's opportunities and doors open that could be totally different than what you would have expected and uh you know continuing to foster those connections uh and nurture those relationships and maintain them in any networking capacity even if you don't think it's an opportunity it probably could be right um yeah yeah and then lastly i would say for me something that i found super helpful was as i was trying to like figure out what my where once i was like i'm out of finance this is what i want to do i had to think about like some of the things that were most important to me at that point whether it's do I want to be home-based or do I really want to travel? 
or do I love, am I, do I crave that face-to-face human interaction and, you know, seeing people selling somebody a bottle of wine, seeing them enjoy it? Or do I want to be maybe seeing things on the back end and from a technical standpoint? So whatever, there's so much opportunity, again, whichever way you decide to go, but if there's some very important elements for you that are sort of non-negotiables that might dictate which way you want to go or what opportunities might be best for you. Right. Right. No, I appreciate that. You know, I want to back up to a couple of the ones you said, you know, you talk about getting certified and I, I'm obligated to give a shameless plug. So as you should, <laughs> so, you know, for and the audience, most of the audience is connected somehow to the Napa Valley Wine Academy, but we are the largest wine school in the world, except for London. We've won the educator of the year twice from London. We're the only school that's ever done that. And we certify more Americans than any other school in America. And our scores are actually higher than the averages around the world. So if you're interested in getting certified, WSET, the, good, the reason we talk about, we, we have other courses, but take something with a, cert, with a little certificate or a certification. And nothing is more recognized around the world than WSET to get your feet wet. You can move on to CSW and Quartermaster and all that other stuff, but WSET is kind of becoming the brand standard for almost entry into almost any arena of wine. So anyway, look us up and you can, and we have uh, most of our classes are available online. So you can be anywhere in the world and take classes from us. So um, anyway, check that out. The other thing um, you know, you mentioned networking and I, I really think that that's super important and you know, it could be as simple as if you live in an area and there's a really great restaurant and with a good wine focus or a cool wine bar that you want to work for, go sit at the bar and yes. talk to the bar guys, to the bartenders, the gals, talk to them and pick their brain and sh- express your interest and, you know, throw around a few wine terms and, uh, you know, show your wine chops and they'll turn you on to the right person. That's a, it's a yes. really good way uh, to, you know, get a little bit of notice when you maybe couldn't otherwise. Um, and also, I, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, get a little bit of experience working with customers, especially if you can do it in the wine industry. If it, it doesn't have to be a fancy schmancy restaurant, somewhere that has some wine where you're going to serve a little bit of wine, um, but get that under your belt. And it, not just so that you can say you have the experience, but when you start working in restaurants, a, you, you get a tremendous um, empathy for the, for the customers. You start to really learn that. And you also really start to learn the inner workings of a restaurant. There's so much more than the general public knows, um, you know, until you get in the back of the house and you, you know, and you know what's going on when you work there. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're interested and you really are truly a beginner, get that part-time job. You know, there's plenty of places that'll hire you on the weekend. If you're in finance as you were, or, you know, admin like I was and, uh, just take yep. the plunge, you know, that's, uh, that's a good way. I mean, it worked for you and I, and most everyone I know started that way (laughs) (laughs) and never stop learning. Boy, that is so important. I, that's one of my favorite hashtags when I post on Instagram. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, great. Well, Jody, I don't know how to thank you enough. Truly. You have been very inspiring. And I think really through this whole conversation, um, you've given some really good 
points for people to act on and not just here at the very end, but we talked about a lot of things and you shared a lot of your expertise and, and I think you've opened the door and opened people's minds to where some possibilities are that they wouldn't have ever thought of before. So thank you so much for being so open and so engaging with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you, Karen. It's truly been my pleasure to be on here and chat with you. And I hope that it is something that is beneficial for all the listeners. And it's an honor. I can't wait to get the feedback. And of course, I want to thank our audience. We have a very loyal following here at Wine, Work, and Passion, and we really appreciate it. We love having you guys here, and hopefully you you have some nuggets to take away, and a few of you will act on them, so that would be great. Anyway, we will uh, on to the next interview, guys, so stay tuned for the next one. Thanks again, Jody. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Karen. Thanks to all of you for joining, and I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams, so feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.